What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos, and this is our last episode of season previews here. I am bringing you a couple of games here, and Cody will have a couple other games that we'll be talking about on this episode. But let's go ahead and hop into this one here. We have a couple of teams from around the Denver metro area that I'd like to talk about, starting with Alameda. Last year had a little bit of a difficult year, went 3-6. and six. Uh, Here's how their season went. Started on a high note, beating Jefferson in a close one, 14-12, then lost to Kennedy, 47-0, George Washington, 68-0. Then they beat Valley in a close one, 28-27, then beating uh, the Pinnacle after that, 55-0. And then to end the season, went on a losing streak, losing to Elizabeth, 54-0, Kent Denver, 51-0, forfeited to Englewood, and then lost to Denver West, 50-6. Now... Here's the thing about Alameda, they do not put in offensive stats for some reason, and even then, some of their defensive stats is definitely incomplete, but that's only for a specific amount of players, so just keep that in mind as I go through here, but graduating seniors, I could only really find one that I felt like was super important in JT, or sorry, two that were super important in JT Trujillo and Julian Corden. Uh, JT Trujillo, he played center and defensive tackle for them, so that would be a loss, and then Julian and Corden played defensive end and was one of their top tacklers uh, from last season. And so losing some size up front for sure here. Like I said, don't have a bunch of stats or really even film to go off of. So there you go. Now key players to look out for. I'm going to highlight these two freshmen because I feel like they could really make some impacts here moving forward. But you got Tez Glover. I believe he was a freshman playmaker of the year candidate or was in consideration at least. But as a freshman corner, he got 48 tackles two picks like I said will be one of the lone bright spots returning for this team he also plays running back so he could potentially get some carries there then you have Angel Arroyo this player he uh, plays multiple positions just like Tez including quarterback linebacker and safety look for him to return for his sophomore year and contribute a little bit on both sides of the football as well now let's go ahead and predict the record like I said don't have much to go off of as far as film or stats really I just have the record really so that's what we're going to go off of but um, to start the season they played Denver North and Littleton I don't think they win either of those games both of those teams are going to be very strong this year so that'll be tough wins for Alameda then they play Lincoln. They're kind of a team that's very similar to Alameda. They're in the same spot. I've had the same success, I guess, on the football field. Don't record, you know, stats just like them. And so I'm going to say if they're going to win a game. That's probably a winnable game against them. But after that, they play Devlin, or sorry, Devlin, TCA, and Englewood. And I think those are all losses. Maybe the Englewood game is a little bit closer. Um, since they are losing some key players there, but I still trust Englewood to figure it out and get the dub there. So there you go. Um, after that, they play Ken Denver. I think that's going to be a loss. They lost to them 51-0 last year, and despite them losing a lot of players, especially on offense, Ken Denver by this point should find a way to replenish an offense and, you know, figure out how to win this game. Uh, definitely, you know, you know, a losable game if they don't have a quick turnaround, but they should figure it out here at the end of the season. Ken Denver, that is. So there you go. Then you got Elizabeth, I mean, Denver West as well. I think both of those are losses. I really don't think they'll win any of their league games, to be honest with you, um, despite what they're losing. So there you go 
there. So my predicted record for Alameda is 1-8 with a window of wins anywhere between 0 and 3. Uh, hey, I'm going to say one more time because this is the last uh, season preview episode. But I definitely hate teams that don't put in stats and don't go in. You know, help out their players. It makes it harder for us to report on it. Uh, and at the end of the day, I mean, there's always a bigger story to wins and losses. But when you only have your wins and losses posted, there's not much I can really do here uh, for you. So there you go. Uh, their league games will be full of teams. Teams are losing a lot of senior talent, but even then, I mean, last year, these were the same teams that blew them out. I still kind of feel like those squads could handle uh, this Alameda team, but there will be opportunities for them to shine. We'll just see if they take advantage of that. Moving on, though, let's talk about Denver West. Last year, went 3-6, and six, started the season with a dub over Manuel, 48-6, then lost to Riverdale Ridge in a close one, 19-0, then lost to Flatirons Academy, 35-12, beat Jefferson, 48-2, then lost uh, to Kent Denver, 38-6, Spaining Loose Academy, 42-0, Englewood in kind of a close one, I guess, 43-26, Elizabeth, 55-0, before beating Alameda to end the season, 50 to 6. Now some seniors are losing. They're losing Alfonso Flores. Um, he was kind of throwing thrown in at quarterback but was definitely used more as an athlete than anything at quarterback he did pass for 433 yards three touchdowns to six picks so not super efficient but did rush for 500 yards and three touchdowns on only 37 carries which is really good uh and then on uh i guess still on offense at receiver he did catch nine receptions for 258 yards and a touchdowns and so their do-it-all player is definitely going to be missed you know having that much production on the touches he got is very impressive so there you go another guy they're losing is the marcus williams at receiver he caught 16 receptions for 323 yards and four touchdowns also played outside linebacker where he had 45 tackles 16 tackles for loss and four and a half sacks uh making a big impact on that defense as a sack leader so that's going to be a tough loss and last but not least they're also losing anthony valdez at linebacker he had 60 tackles and 10 tackles for loss the damage for this denver west defense um mostly comes i would say on defense they're losing six of their top 11 tacklers and on offense i mean they're losing the guys i just talked about there so there you go but uh denver west they are returning some key players including ahmad hussein last year he had 384 rushing yards and four touchdowns including a 201 yard four touchdown performance against jefferson we got the majority of that production at linebacker also had 46 tackles he'll only be a junior this next year and so he should be a good two-way problem for a lot of teams and be able to contribute to this denver west team another guy to look out for is damian uh montanez as a freshman started some games at linebacker he had an all right season where he was the second sack leader with three and a half definitely a name to potentially look out for to contribute more on this defense and then last but not least this is someone that i feel like will make the difference in a lot of games in tyzel osler he'll be returning for his junior year having played quarterback in the games he played, he went for 531 yards, 7 touchdowns, and 7 picks. His best performance was against Manuel, where he threw for 4 touchdowns and I think a pick, but that's alright. And then as a rusher, also had 367 yards and 2 touchdowns. He has shown flashes at quarterback, and I think he could be a real solid athlete here at quarterback that will provide them with significant production. Then last but not least, I know I said uh, Osler was my last guy, but I do want to shout out these guys here in Stan Graper, Alexis Martial, Philip Schwarz, Lu 
Charles Luzi, I want to say, or Charles Luz, and then Ben Chacon. Those are some big boys they are returning up front, which should kind of help smooth over things for this Denver West team. Now, let's go ahead and predict the record. So, they start the season against Manuel. I think this is a dub. They should be able to beat this team without Jewel Cameron. They're returning a lot of playmakers that played well in this game last year, and so I think this is a dub. Then they play Lincoln. Uh, I think that's a team that is struggling, and so that should be a take-care-of-business type of game. After that, they pull Flatirons Academy, and uh, I think this is going to be a loss. I mean, both teams aren't extremely stacked and deep, but Flatirons does have a very... Uh, good coaching staff that works around that and you know they have a lot of athletes all over and so i can see west winning this game though if osler takes a step forward and has a very good game but for now i'm gonna give it to flat irons here then they play denver north this is a difficult matchup i think this is a loss frankie dardano he's a scary quarterback to play against he's probably one of the best qbs they will face this year and so that will be a difficult game for them to win after that, they play Ken Denver. I think this is a loss. Last year, Ken Denver ran all over this team. One for 321 rushing yards and five touchdowns as a team. And that's definitely concerning for a Denver West defense that is losing some talent. And so I trust uh, Ken Denver to go ahead and figure it out despite them losing some players. I mean, I th it looked like it was a running back by committee type of deal. And so, you know, if this Denver West defense isn't quite ready, then I think Ken Denver could really uh, stand up here and win this game maybe not as much as a blowout but they should win this game then they play tca uh tca's contenders so i don't think they win that one after that they play elizabeth uh jason weber and, and cooper Connolly. i think for elizabeth are returning they had quite a game jason weber specifically had quite a game against this team we had a hat trick and touchdowns and so that's definitely concerning for a Denver West team that is losing a couple defenders here. Um, interesting enough, though, Osler did not play in this game, so we'll see if he could maybe make the difference. But for now, I'm predicting this one as an Elizabeth dub. After that, they play Englewood. I think this will be a hard-fought game, but I believe Osler could potentially be the difference here and win them this game. Should be a tough one to win, though. Good challenge here. So that's a dub. And to end the season, they play Alameda, where they should take care of business and win. So there you go. And so my predicted record for Denver West is 4-5 and five with a window of wins anywhere between 2-4. and four. Look, this West team will be losing some talent, but will be playing an easier schedule where they could potentially gain confidence and win more games than last year. The Manuel, Lincoln, Englewood, and Alameda games are all ones that I favor them in. The Englewood game is one of the few games where I feel like Englewood could potentially win, but we'll see. A little bit of a toss-up there. And then the Kent-Denver game, although I predicted it as a loss, could definitely be an opportunity for them to take advantage of a young team. But for now, I think they're going to work with what they have on offense and continue to develop that defense. Moving on though, we got Anglewood. Last year had an interesting record, 1-3-5-1. That tie came in the first game of their season where they tied against Wild Central 21-21. I don't know why that was the case or what happened there, but there you go. 
Then after that, lost to Bayfield 26-13, uh, Devlin in a close one 28-26 before grabbing a close 19-14 dub after that. But then they lost again to Northfield 24-7, Lisbeth 41-7, Ken Denver 28-0. Uh, and then went on a little bit of a win streak at the end here. I mean, they beat Denver West 43-26 and then Alameda, I believe, forfeited to them. Uh, and so that counted as a dub. Now, Englewood, they are losing a couple players here, including uh, Gunner Johnson, he passed for 876 yards, 7 touchdowns to 3 picks while rushing for 348 yards and 2 touchdowns. They're also losing his brother, I believe, um, Hunter Johnson, who rushed for 232 yards, 4 touchdowns, and then I believe caught for 424 yards and 6 touchdowns. And then on defense, he was a big deal, where he had 84 tackles, 3 sacks, and 3 picks. And then last but not least, they are losing Sean Fox, a middle linebacker. He was their second leading tackler with 50 tackles tackles and two sacks altogether they're losing three of their top 11 tacklers but they are losing pretty much a big part of their core since they really did run the offense through these johnson brothers here now i do have two key players for y'all to look out for starting with isaiah segoviano i want to say excuse me if i'm mispronouncing that but as the backup back had 82 yards and a touchdown on 27 carries uh, but really produced a receiver with 17 receptions and 182 yards. Also played DB on defense where he had 24 tackles and an interception. Definitely a guy that could pick up some of the production left by the Johnson brothers, so we'll see there. Then you have J.C. Pronte, uh, the six foot, 215-pound junior, um, incoming junior, I believe, had 31 tackles and two sacks last year. Going into this year, I think he'll be a bigger force for this team that should have a more experienced defense uh, and whatnot. So there you go. Now let me go ahead and predict this record. They play Sheridan start. I think that's a dub. Go ahead and take care of business here. Then they play Arvada. They do return a bit of experience, and I think uh, a very green Englewood offense will, you know, they might struggle to keep up with this Arvada team, so I'm predicting this one as a loss. Then they play Littleton. This Littleton team will be improved and will be difficult to beat with some guys over there, so I think that's a loss. Then they play Lincoln. That should be a pretty easy dub where they should be able to find some identity for their offense and, you know, take care of business and gain confidence. After that, they start league play here, playing Elizabeth. I think that's a loss. Elizabeth will be returning some players that could outshoot this team. We'll be talking about them here in a little bit, so be on the lookout for that. Then they play Alameda. Uh, despite losing some guys, I still think this program here, this Englewood program, is just better than Alameda's, and so they should find a way to beat them. They are returning a pretty experienced defense as well, which I think can uh, force some turnovers and maybe even score. So there you go. Then they play TCA. I don't think they win this game. Just straight up. Uh, after that, they pull Denver West. Uh, I'm picking West here because they have Osler. This is definitely a winnable game. But for now, you know, I think it will be a little bit of a toss-up. So we'll see. Then they play Kent Denver. Uh, both teams are losing quite a bit here. But I believe in Ken Denver to figure it out, especially by this point at the season near the end here. And put together an offensive squad that should be able to outshoot whatever Englewood fields. Plus, their defense will be good. So, there you go. Um, interesting enough, both of these teams are in very similar spots, though. So, we'll see how that goes. But altogether, my predicted record for 
Englewood is three and six with a window of wins anywhere between one and three. Look, this Englewood team is in danger after running the offense through the Johnson brothers and relying on them so much these past couple of years. While this defense can be experienced and pose issues for other teams, this offense, I mean, it will be really hard to justify them winning more than three games, uh, especially just looking at what they have on this offense because somebody needs to step up. And not just one, but multiple people for this Englewood offense needs to step up in order order for them to win games, which I think they can, but I think I'm more in a wait-and-see moment right now. Alright, let's move on and talk about Ken Denver, though. Last year, won 5-3, 0-1 in the playoffs, though. Started the season with a 31-12 loss to University. Then they beat Devlin uh, 36-15 and Manuel 20-6 before losing to the Academy 42-21. But then went on a win streak once the league play started, beating Denver West 38-6, Angle 28-0, Alameda 51-0. Uh, before losing to Elizabeth at the end of the regular season, 40 to six, and then losing to Eden in the playoffs in the first round, 46 to six. Out. It was a pretty solid year, and they have some seniors that are graduating that contribute to that, including Finn Cooper. At running back, he rushed for 1,016 yards and 13 touchdowns. Also caught five receptions for 111 yards and a touchdown. Should be a pretty big loss for them. It's not every day you find a 1,000-yard rusher with 10-plus touchdowns, so that's always a big loss. They're also losing Michael Redman. He played quarterback for them last year and passed for 515 yards, seven touchdowns, four picks, uh, while rushing for two touchdowns. You know, they're losing some leadership there at quarterback. On the opposite side of the ball, they are losing some guys, including Chase Hewitt on defense. He had 19 tackles and also led the team in picks with three at cornerback. And then they're losing Nicholas Drexler-Bruce. He um, racked up 39 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, and five sacks as the sack leader. So they're losing both their sack and interception leader. Top of that, you know, they're just losing five of their top 11 tacklers, so that'll be tough. And this isn't a player, but it's a coach. They are losing their longtime head coach who has been really successful and whatnot. He's retiring, and so that'll definitely be a loss as well. Now, key players to look out for. Uh, let's start with Luke Harrington. As a sophomore, he was the lead tackler for this team with 49 tackles, three sacks, and a pick. Going into his junior year, should be due for a bigger year, maybe a breakout year as they rely more on this defense. Then you have uh, Henry Gutrich as a sophomore. He was their lead receiver with six receptions, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. And only three games, by the way. And so if he plays more games and if they find a quarterback, he will probably be the lead receiver there and could be a good one for them. So there you go. And then last but not least, you have Rowdy Yates as a sophomore. He had 47 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and two sacks. He'll be returning with a number of other guys uh, in this defensive unit. So... There you go there. Now, let's go ahead and predict this season here. They played Platte Valley, which is a tough team to pull here early on. I think this is a loss. Howdy Johnson and company, they're just going to be a tough team to beat. And with a very green offense and a new coaching staff, I just don't know if they could beat them. Same goes with Highland. I think that's a loss there. Uh, despite being a 1A team, you know, they're a team that is very, very good. You know, and has a good identity and they'll play hard. I think I'd worry about this Ken. Denver identity as they begin to rebuild here and so we'll see what happens but I think that's a loss then they play Faith Christian I think that's another loss despite uh, them losing basically their offense uh, this Faith Christian defense should be really good though and uh, because of that I have Ken Denver losing 
Then they play Sterling. That's a rebuilding program, but I think that's a loss because they are returning a running back and some pieces that could be really dangerous uh, to a team that doesn't necessarily have an offensive identity right now, so we'll see. After that, they play Denver West to get a little bit of a break here. I think that's a dub. They were able to run over uh, all over this team last year. I think they could do the same thing with whoever they put out there. So there you go. Uh, then they play Elizabeth. This Elizabeth team will be returning a lot more on offense. And so I think they could outshoot them um, there. So there you go. After that, they play Alameda. Should take care of business. Then they play TCA. That's going to be a real tough team to beat. And I don't think they're able to do that right now. So there you go. Uh, then after that, to end the season, they play Englewood. I think that's a dub right off the bat. Uh, they'll have the stronger defense to work with. And with the whole season under the offense's belt, I think that at the very least shouldn't be detrimental enough for this team to lose with this offense gelled by this point or at least gelled to a degree so there you go but my predicted record for kent denver is three and six with the window of wins anywhere between two and four look this team was very solid last year and that's in turn because of the offensive production they're able to put out Going to this year, they'll have a new head coach, and so it should definitely be a rebuilding year, along with trying to replace the players that they lost. Uh, their win should come off the backs of their defense just being better and playing well, but look for the offense to develop as the season goes on and hopefully get better. Alright, now let's move on to my last team here, but let's talk about Elizabeth last year. Went 7-2 in the regular season, 1-1 one one in the playoffs. Started out with dubs against Burlington, 14-6, Woodland Park, 44-8. Then they lost to Eden, 31-7, NTCA, 42-13. Then bounced back here, going on a winning streak, beating for Lupton, 61-0, Englewood, 41-7, Alameda, 54-0, and Kent Denver, 40-6. In the playoffs, they beat Bayfield, 17-0, moving on to the next round where they lost to Eden, 31-7. Now, they do have some graduating seniors here, starting with Jace Perez. He was the lead receiver with 197 yards, but he was a contributor, a significant one on the ground, going for 633 rushing yards and 9 rushing touchdowns. On defense at corner, he was the interception leader with 3. He also had 23 tackles. And they're also losing Ryan Connolly. He was a big contributor on defense, going for 76 tackles and 2 picks. Altogether, they're losing 7 of their top 11 tacklers, most of them being from that front 7. They're also losing some size at linemen by losing Jaden Lawrence and James Korig, and so that'll be tough to replace. But they are returning a pretty solid core here, starting with the quarterback Jason Weber. He'll be returning for his senior year last year. Passed for 625 yards, 6 touchdowns, 7 picks. While rushing for 357 yards and 8 touchdowns, he should help boost this squad by leading them and uh, being one of the returning leaders for them. Then you have Cooper Connolly. As a sophomore, he was arguably their best player for this team, rushing for 656 yards and 11 touchdowns while racking up 27 tackles and 3 picks. He returns for his junior year and should be a focal point uh, for this team and especially a focal point on offense. Then you got Ethan Stone. He was the second leading receiver with 142 yards and three touchdowns on 11 reception uh, receptions. He also returns to this defense um, after having 22 tackles and a pick last year. Then last but not least, you also have Porter Johnson, the 6'2", 200-pound junior, uh, got 18 tackles and two sacks last year. He'll be returning some pretty decent size to this defense. That is losing quite a bit here. Alright, so let's go ahead and uh, talk about this 22 season. Let's predict it here. Starting with Devlin, I think that's a 
uh, loss here. I think they just lack some of the experience size to battle what they have uh, coming back. Plus, I don't know if this defense can handle this experienced offense right now, so it's a loss to me. Then they play Burlington. They're a pretty good 118, but... Elizabeth, I feel like, still has enough offensive talent in Connolly and Weber to go ahead and get it done here and get this dub. So there you go. Then I think the Academy and University games are both losses. I just don't think Elizabeth has enough enough firepower or a strong enough defense to beat either. So there you go. Then they start some league play here against Englewood. I think that's a dub. Should be able to beat them. Uh, that really doesn't have their core on offense. Same with Kent Denver. They're losing their offense. They will have a solid defense, though. But, like I said, that offense is definitely concerning. I think Elizabeth could definitely outshoot them uh, as they will be returning Connolly, which will be a big part of that offense. So there you go. Then they play Denver West Alameda. I think both of those are dubs, take care of business type of games before ending the season against TCA, where I think that's going to be a loss. Um, I mean, both these teams will look different this year. But TCA will, will return a stronger defense, in my opinion, plus a better running back. Uh, he'll be one of the best in the entire state, so that'll be a tough team to lose. Altogether, my predicted record for Elizabeth is 5-4 and four, with the window of wins that he were between 4-6. and six. I mean, they're returning their quarterback in with Jason Weber. They're running back in Cooper Connolly, and I think that'll go a long way in getting this team wins. Now, their defense is losing a ton, though, especially size up front. And so they'll have a very green defense that I feel like will struggle, but hopefully get better as the season goes on. Regardless, I think they should at least finish close to 500, if not right there, and maybe sneak into the playoffs. We will see. Yes, we will, Simon. And speaking of playoff teams, not in this upcoming season per se, but boy, do I have a lot of playoff teams from last season and teams that are looking to go back there again or maybe flip the script from how their last season went. But one team that's going to try and repeat their success are the Bear Creek Bears here, located out of Lakewood, Colorado. And this was a team that, you know, finally kind of bounced back to their dominant roots. You know, Bear Creek was a prestigious program back, you know, in the 2000s, back when I was growing up. and. You know, even a little bit into my high school career, they were a solid squad. They had a rough patch, couple of years, but finally, you know, reminded everyone what Bear Creek football was. And it took a lot of 2022 guys to make that year work as they went eight and four overall, only losing to Dakota Ridge and Golden during the regular season. And then their season ending against Pine Creek in the second round of the playoffs. But all in all, I mean, look, they beat the eventual state champs during the regular season, 14 to 10 against Chatfield. They also had, you know, a win over 5A Lakewood. I mean, losing to Erie is not a big deal. And they beat Windsor twice over the course of both the regular season and the postseason. So, you know, they sprinkled in some quality wins there and all in all, played 12 games, which means that you're doing something right. So, you know, this Bear Creek squad, like I said, they had a lot of 2022 guys. And, you know, on offense, that helped produce a pretty balanced attack. You know, they threw for just over 2,200 yards, ran for over 2,500 yards. And then there were a ton of two-way players who also laid the wood on defense and will playing, be playing on the next level, especially from the front seven. Uh, offensively, they graduate senior quarterback Jaden Minter 
who had 2,600 yards between the air and ground, throwing 21 scores and rushing for another four, while also being assisted by another senior in Blake McComber, who broke 1,000 yards and caught 12 touchdowns. That M&M connection was sweet last season and will now need some serious underclassmen stepping up to replace that production that is unlike anything Bear Creek has produced since being in 4A. And don't think I was going to talk about the Bear Creek squad without talking about the face of the team this past season, Ryan Segovia, whose physical running style notched him 1,298 yards, 15 touchdowns, and, you know, over the course of the season, eclipsing the century mark in seven contests before he got recruited to CSU Pueblo, where his same determination off and on the field will be a huge plus. Uh, while he was destructive on offense, the same could be said of him on defense and the rest of his demo crew. You know, Segovia led the team in tackles for loss, and nine of the other 15 tackle for loss collectors were seniors, including uh, all members of, you know, this top-rated uh, defense here in Benavidez, Parrish, and Tafoya, who combined for 17 between just the three of them. And, you know, these same names are just four of the nine seniors graduating on defense with over 20 tackles. And that doesn't even include uh, Caleb Sosita, who posted 62 tackles, or Colton Henderson, who is second on this squad with 73 tackles. Overall, a ton of production is departing in a front seven that was stout and slowing down, you know, prominent rushing attacks that included Windsor twice, you know, once in the postseason and once in the regular season. Eventual state champs, Chatfield, were held to just 10 points by this Bears defense that was very solid against the run. So, you know, I think it's also worth noting the departure of Emiliano Ramirez, who had sole possession of a blocked punt this past year and was another senior forcing fumbles and collecting slash leading in sacks, tied with Blake Parrish at six and a half. On this, you know, defense that was, like I said, much like this program in general, was experiencing a major bounce back from last season and was reminiscent of, you know, those Bear Creek squads of the 2000s. Now, as far as returning playmakers go, um, I think that it is worth noting that Emilio Mendoza will be returning. You know, he's the spearhead of this underclassman, you know, defensive stout or prowess, I guess, uh, since he posted 91 tackles and also found himself in the backfield four times, not to mention getting to the quarterback as well. Um, also in the top five of tacklers is incoming junior Jerry Torres, who was the last guy to get 60 or more tackles last season as far as, you know, those stats lined up. But in the past game was sensational, notching three interceptions, which was, you know, the lead by over one. Um, you also have fellow class of 2023 athlete Zach Nash, who had a pair of interceptions himself and, you know, combined with Torres for seven pass deflections. Uh, this is only one greater than the leader in pass deflections who can hopefully turn some of those into picks with Josh Cordova. And, you know, with the secondary being poised to take some steps forward, that may balance out some of the losses in the front seven but I think it definitely leaves some questions about the offense. The only guy to get carries that wasn't a senior was Campos, and he didn't find the end zone. And, you know, they do have a handful of receiving touchdowns coming back with Zach Nash returning, as well as Isaiah Phelps. 
but you know there's still a pretty big question mark as far as who's going to be throwing these guys the football and so you know looking ahead to next season i don't know if eight wins is in the forecast but i definitely think that bear creek is not trying to lay down quietly this upcoming season now they start off the season once again against fellow lakewood squad lakewood and then followed up with Greeley West, which oddly enough, I think was the exact start to their season last year before they face off against a hungry 3A Kennedy squad. Then they are on the road against brand new to 4A Thomas Jefferson and then end their non-league play against Fruit of Monument. So you're looking in this opening stretch of five games. I think that they can win three of these. I don't know if they can beat... Thomas Jefferson. I really like some of the athletes that they have, like Harambopoulos. And, you know, I think there's going to be some growing pains for this run defense to start the year. And I don't think that they're going to be challenged in the running game as much as when they get to Thomas Jefferson. And then Fruit of Monument, I think, is just a squad that's a little bit better in a lot of facets and is returning, you know, the most important player under center. So that always helps. So you're looking at probably three and two. And I don't see any worse than two and three. So you're already having a wow of two to three. And then you get to league play. Now, last year in league play, like I said, they lost to Golden. They lost to Dakota Ridge. They were able to beat Chatfield, which was big, and have a winning record in league. This year, I think it'll be a little bit tougher. I don't think that they'll be able to beat Golden or Dakota Ridge. I don't think they'll be able to avenge those losses from last year. But then they do have a home game against Grand Junction. I think that that is a very winnable game. Then Stanley Lake, this game is going to be kind of intense for, for all intents and purposes. You know, Stanley Lake is a squad that I'm going to talk about a little bit later on this episode and one that I think is going to, you know, take a step forward this upcoming season and, you know, present more of a challenge to this Bear Creek squad than they did last year. And then they finally close the season or at least what's scheduled right now is a close of the season against Ponderosa. I think Ponderosa probably wins that one just because there's not a lot of, there's, there's more questions than answers for Bear Creek here. So looking at Bear Creek's window of wins, you're looking at, you know, two to three. So like a two and three or three and three record in league two and four I should say or three and three record outside of league and then in league you know one to two wins so far as far as the league games that they have scheduled right so you're looking at a window of wins that could be as low as three but could be as high as five I think that five's a little bit more likely but I'm gonna go ahead and just say that this Bear Creek squad probably goes four and six this season and you know depending on strength of schedule and how they stack up against some of these stronger teams how they stack up against golden dakota ridge stanley lake and ponderosa will determine if they are able to make the postseason or not and if they do they will just barely sneak in here unless they just have a generational quarterback in the wings that is going to explode onto the scene but for now i'm just going to play it safe and say three to five wins for bear creek football that you know, I still think it's going to force a lot of turnovers in the secondary. I think that the pass defense is going to be significantly improved from last year. And all in all, will still be a relevant squad on a week-to-week -week basis. Next up from last season's 4A Jeffco League, 
was one of the most exciting, dynamic, explosive, tantalizing teams of last season. And, you know, one of PMC's favorites to, you know, make a deep run last year. And that was the Dakota Ridge Eagles, who, you know, opened last season, like I said, as a favorite, as a favorite from all previewers to make state and even win it. Now, they did their part during the regular season to try and make that projection realized with a tough out-of-state win. This was a 23-20 victory over First Coast in Jacksonville, Florida before just pillaging in non-league, scoring no less than 42 points, beating Thornton 42-14, a game that I believe... No, no, no. Simon and I weren't able to attend that. It was two weeks later when they beat Rampart 42-2. Sorry, they scored over 40 points in all of these games and ended their non-league competition with a 54-13 win over Brighton. And that was the first of four consecutive 50-burgers that they would score, including three to start league against Bear Creek, Stanley Lake, and Wheat Ridge. And, you know, the league would tighten up a little bit, but not their ability to still score like crazy and win those games. You know, they had an insane shootout against Golden that they won 45 to 38. That was just who's going to have the ball last, essentially. And then they also beat Chatfield to close their regular season and secure their unblemished regular season record they beat them 29 to 28 now the postseason rolls around dakota ridge is sitting pretty good at 10 and 0 i want to say that they were like the second seed in all of 4a so they had a first run by and awaited the winner of longmont versus broomfield longmont wins that and you know longmont the trojans travel down and return the opening kickoff to take a lead over dakota ridge that would not last long as Dakota Ridge would rattle off another 56 points in what was one of the more exciting playoff games. Very back and forth, lots of offense, lots of big plays, but beating Longmont in their playoff game before losing to the eventual state champs in a heartbroken and revenge tour driven Chatfield team that would dispatch them and eventually win state. You know, if Dakota Ridge wins that Chatfield game you know the story from state it, it might be a little bit different but it is only an if and that must be acknowledged as they turn their sights towards this upcoming season now like I said this Dakota Ridge offense I mean they scored 538 points last year if you want to break that down on a per game basis during their 11 in one season they were averaging like 45 points a game. They were one of the most explosive offenses in the entire state. And, you know, I think that that was largely attributed to just the plethora of athletes and playmakers that they had on all sides of the ball. You know, under center, they do graduate a very solid one-year starter in Adam Graves, whose cannon of an arm and size slash athleticism made him a threat both through the air and the ground. And when you combine that with one of the fastest receiving cores in the entire state and a deep ball that can beat cover three looks, you end up scoring a lot of points. One of those receivers, Connor Fitzhugh, was a speedster who led the team actually with 651 yards on 33 receptions and seven touchdowns, all of those being team leads. Since he was great at adjusting to the ball, he'd also get some great looks 
since he was complimented by a few other seniors that opened up opportunities and one-on-one -on -one coverage was just pretty tough to match up against Fitzhugh. Uh, another senior receiver was Jacob Lafave or Lafave, I want to say, who had 233 yards and three receiving scores of his own. But the other big name threat out of this Dakota Ridge receiving core was none other than Colorado's best athlete last season, Dante Capalungo, who not only scorched defenses on deep balls, crossing routes, and screens to the tune of 525 yards and five scores, but stomped on teams next on special teams, accounting for 674 return yards on kick and punt returns alone, constantly setting his team up in stellar and easy positions to score the football and just scoring himself. If you thought I was done talking about him, you'd be wrong, because he was also PMC's number two ranked cornerback in the class of 2022, picking off QBs seven times, for another 142 yards as if he didn't have enough and some scores while also notching 20, 20 pass deflections and, you know, punching the ball out once while also diving on the ball a couple of other times. You know, he was a one-of-a-kind athlete. I mean, if you just look at the scoring, you know, he was third on this team in points with 78 touchdown points, 13 touchdowns, and just finding a way to score every way imaginable. You know, he ran for four touchdowns. He caught five touchdowns. He took two interceptions to the house. He took two kickoffs back to the house. He's averaging a touchdown a game. Well, 1.1. But you know what I mean. He was just incredible in every way, shape, or form. And was one of the most fun players I have seen in Colorado high school football. And, you know, with his graduation as well as... Uh, Lafaves or Lafaves, there are no interceptions returning to this defense. And, you know, that also includes an interception from another senior in Orr. And then, not to be excluded, Isaac Pingarone was a force on this defense, leading the team in tackles for loss, recording 48 solo tackles, and also having a couple of sacks. So, defensively, you're losing, obviously, all of your guys that force turnovers in the past defense which is really really tough but you're also losing a guy who was able to get into the backfield and was you know a violent force on the defense and that may sound some alarms but it should be stated that you know this dakota ridge system this dr system thrives on athletes year in year out and even more so uh they come back dramatically improved now, I think some cases of, you know, big time pass deflectors that take a step forward this offseason and probably turn a lot of these pass deflections or at least a handful of these into interceptions starts with, you know, incoming senior Calvin Ward, who had 19 pass deflections last year. You also have Brandon Miller, who had 13 pass deflections last year and were, you know, was amongst the leading tacklers on this squad. And then you also have Landon Giebler, or Giebler, if I'm saying that wrong, I am really sorry. But, you know, he had 10 pass deflections of his own. And that even fails to address the sophomore linebacker, Braden Cusick, and his five pass deflections along with the blocked punt. So, you know, these guys are able to break up passes and, you know, it, 
Husick obviously having somebody who can break up passes in the middle along with hit people pretty hard and forcing completions that way is a very ideal setup for this pass defense heading into this season. And, you know, between Miller, Jeebler, and Ward, they were all the top tacklers on this team of, you know, returning players. Uh, Cusick headlined all tacklers on this squad with 61 last year. But like I said, Miller, Giebler, and Ward all follow 45 plus tackles. I mean, between the four of those guys, you have 11 tackles for loss returning. And that doesn't even account for the fact that you get, you know, second leading tackle for loss guy from last season. And that's out of all players. That's seniors, juniors, sophomores, whatever. You get an incoming senior in D'Amico here who notched seven tackles for loss. And he also led the team in sacks with seven sacks and has room for improvement with five hurries. So, you know, oh no, they graduated all of their interceptions from last year. Oh no, they're losing these this talent. Yeah, that stinks. Don't get me wrong. That's going to be tough. But I think that the defense will be fine. I think that the defense will be more than fine. They have some things going for them in both the front seven as well as the secondary. And I think that they will be okay. Now, what is what does that mean that I think of the offense? Well, they have the most proven running back in the, you know, incoming senior class in Noah Triplett, who, you know, I broke down in a Twitch stream and last season he accounted for 2,131 scrimmage yards, over 1,500 rush yards, 370-ish in the pass game, and another 200 on kickoff return while scoring an insane 31 times on the offensive side of the ball, rushing for 28, as well as catching three. And Triple had one of, if not the most yards per game last year amongst any players of any class at 176.6, and will have to bring more in the tank with so many yards disappearing from special teams. I think that he can continue to contribute, and it's got me pretty excited for what he can do. And he's one of the favorites for me, at least heading into the season to be number one on our top five senior running backs list. And, you know, also on this offense, they do return, you know, some beef to the front line here since you will be seeing the return of an incoming senior here, Jack Rons, who, you know, is another guy on our watch list as far as this offensive line that was really dominant last year. I mean, he will have to make up for the loss of Cuban Dixon, who did graduate and was a second team All-State guy last year. But I mean, you just have a lot of talent here for this Dakota Ridge squad. And, you know, Jack Rons, I think he's going to be a great leader this year for this offensive line and is also going to do a great job continuing to pave some holes for Noah Triplett, as well as keep it his brand new quarterback up and while this isn't a returning playmaker for dr it is a returning playmaker for colorado football and that's junior quarterback blake paladino whose arm and athleticism i think as a junior is already a step above the you know a, a step above adam graves with no disrespect but just very very high praise and a very high bar for you know, this Dakota Ridge squad and for Blake Palladino. I mean, they just recently did their, I guess, 
like team combine if you want to yeah team preseason combine and he jumped a school record vert of 39 and a half inches he ran a 457 40 yard dash a 4.10 shuttle and also had a what is that a 10 foot broad jump for a spark score of 186.84 now all these are just athletic tests right and you're like okay what do those numbers actually mean in context does that mean anything well I broke down his film on a Twitch stream. I believe Coach V joined me there. And he's got the insane ceiling to back it up. Uh, he already has varsity experience against a handful of good teams when he was over at Mullen High School. And, you know, he's got sweet speed running the ball. I think that they can, they're going to run him a lot more than Mullen did. And I think that that's going to open up a lot of scoring opportunities for this offense. It opens up opportunities for Noah Triplett. And, you know, as just mentioned, Blake has some serious wheels and he's also a solid size too. Around like, I want to say six foot three, maybe even close to six foot four. And, you know, like a hundred and something odd pounds, maybe even nearing 200, honestly. Uh, I have to see where he's at there. But I mean, he's a great combination of size and speed who can run. But I mean, his arm is even stronger than a senior from last year in, Adam's, in Adam Graves. He can zip it into some absurd windows 20, 30 yards down the field. He can hit those intermediate routes with great arm power. He can sail it over linebackers and underneath safeties. And, you know, I think that in a system with a little bit more consistency and some stellar athletes everywhere that you look, that he's going to have an incredible season. And, you know, I think that this offense, I talked about Graves first in graduating seniors because I think that this offense is just tailored very, very well for Blake Palladino. I mean, Graves ran for 378 yards and seven touchdowns while also averaging, I want to say 16 and a half yards per attempt or completion. So, you know, there are some question marks on who or how, you know, 1400 plus yards of receiving will be replaced. But I have faith in the position coaches and just the coaching staff in general of Dakota Ridge to produce another dynamic offense with a quarterback that has had more varsity experience than most juniors in the state while continuing to boast an incredible defense. Now, this schedule is not for the faint of heart. I am gonna put that out there, you know, they do start off the season on the road against Pueblo West. I'm pretty sure Coach V is going to be at that game. It's going to be a marquee matchup between, you know, two stellar quarterbacks and offenses that are going to score a lot of points. I think that'll be a great test to start the year. Then right after that, they have a home game against 5A powerhouse Columbine High School that will test this team up front and make sure that they stay honest and ready to rock and roll. So, you know, you could potentially start off 0-2 here. I think that they probably go 1-1 one one before facing Mesa Ridge and Rampart. I think that they win both of these games against spring teams. Then they get another shot at Chatfield. Chatfield, you know, I'm going to talk about them last on this episode, actually. But they are moving up to 5A. So this is going to be nice for strength of schedule. And I think that Chatfield, you know, has lost some of the things that made them such a good counter to Dakota Ridge. So I think that they could also score a win here and be heading, well, I, I say heading into league when really they also have another huge game against Broomfield that can score a lot of points. I'm probably going to try and make it out to that one, actually.
depending on what else we have going on September 30th. But I mean, very exciting schedule. Yeah, get some heavyweights in Pueblo West, Columbine, Chatfield, and Broomfield here all before league play. And I think that that makes league all the more easier. Worst case scenario, you only win three of these games and you go three and three. I am leaning way more towards the fact that they're five and one heading into league where they got Bear Creek. They they cleaned out the creek last year. So I think that they're going to repeat that again this year. I think that they're going to beat Golden. I think that's going to be another great game, but Golden did lose some pretty significant contributors on offense, but it will be an elite duel between Paladino and Giselle Riley. More on him later. They have a long road trip to Grand Junction, which sucks. Gosh, they are traveling quite a bit this year, honestly, between going all the way down to Pueblo, playing Rampart in the Springs, and then going to Grand Junction. Ooh-wee. This team is going to be well-traveled, which I think, Pope, you know, potentially goes really well for the postseason, just being used to those long bus rides in case, you know, you draw certain opponents. And then I think that they end the season on a win against Stanley Lake. All in all, I think the only game I don't have Dakota Ridge favored in is the second week against Columbine. Columbine's just really, really strong up front. Not to say that Dakota Ridge isn't, but I mean, that is a really good 5A team that I even projected could go undefeated, right? So worst, I shouldn't say worst case scenario. Worst case scenario in an absolute nightmare, I think that you go... If you lose to West, Columbine, Chatfield, and Golden, you still only lose four games. That's not even going to happen. So I I'm, don't even know why I'm bringing it up, but that's like if they just blink at the wrong times and these games pass them by, that's the absolute most games they could lose is four. I think it's way more likely that they only lose a single game this year and they go nine and one. You heard it here. Dakota Ridge Eagles going nine and one this upcoming season behind, you know, just a well-balanced team with plenty of athletes on both sides of the ball and plenty of determination to boot. And, you know, it's never the regular season that I'm ever concerned about Dakota Ridge. It's about what are they going to do in the postseason? which is a similar question to what this next team is going to be facing this year in Golden, Colorado, the Golden Demons, who, you know, behind a potent offense and opportunistic defense, popped off to a 7-0 start with, you know, plenty of exciting games on the way. You know, they open up the season with a 29-22 win over Broomfield that, you know, I originally predicted wrong because I got to put some respect on this golden squad's name they then took care of business against green mountain beat another good offensive driven team in skyline beat liberty beat widefield beat stanley lake and beat wheat ridge while just putting up impressive numbers they then finally lose two insanely close league games they lose to chatfield 50 to 49 uh so Look, if you're on offense, what what can you do? I mean, you scored 49 points, you still lost. That is just unfortunate, really. And then Dakota Ridge, I mean, like I said, in the Dakota Ridge segment, Dakota Ridge only won this game by seven points. So you lose two league games to two other state contenders by a combined eight points. Yeah, quick maths. A combined eight points before finishing the year with a win over Bear Creek. Then they just humiliate Cheyenne Mountain in the first round of the playoffs before 
The suffocating secondary of Fountain Fort Carson was too much for the fireball of the offense brought to you by the Demons. All in all, 9-3 was very impressive. And, you know, a member of the pod last season even thought that Golden could reach state through the power of Giselle Riley. But before I talk about that returning star quarterback, I'm going to talk about some graduating seniors. And, you know, while the front seven will return around half of their leading tacklers from last year, they will be losing the second leading tackler on this squad and Dalton Summers, who had 63 tackles and actually led the squad in assisted tackles while finding ball carriers in the backfield twice. Not to be outdone, they do lose outside backer Dejour Dubois, who led the team in tackles for loss with four and also found himself tied for second in sacks with three. From that point tackle-wise, you lose another 40 tackle guy in a bear, but then no more than Trujillo's 25 tackles. In the secondary is where it's a bit more concerning as their two leading turnover machines have graduated in Josh Torrey and Dalton Summers, who both recorded three interceptions apiece and combined for seven pass deflections. So lots of picks, lots of PDs, kind of going off, setting off some alarms. And Josh Torrey, I mean, this dude was just a stellar athlete last season for the Demons. He led the team in scrimmage yards with 1,278 and was, you know, the leading receiver on this squad with over 1,000 receiving yards and an absurd 16 touchdowns. His speed and athleticism cannot be easily replaced on both sides of the ball. And then, as I mentioned, you know, you had Trujillo who had 25 tackles, but on offense, he was way more potent, you know, as a senior receiver, collecting 600 yards and finding the red zone often at seven scores, finding success in the red zone, I should say. And the third guy to round off the top three was also a senior in O'Sullivan. So, you know, as I mentioned, outside of the outliers up top, there are still members of the defense who broke up passes and even took some for themselves. You have four of the 11 interceptions coming back from last year and optimistically, you know, return two of those guys in the form of 2024 guys whose growth from sophomore to junior year could be logarithmic in Ridge Schaefer, who not only notched a pick, but also recovered two fumbles this past season. And you also have Cole Sorgren, and, you know, if these guys can bat some more passes, get some more picks, that will significantly help out this pass defense. Uh, Chase Bryan, or Brian, it's probably just pronounced Brian, uh, was someone else who was tied for the lead in pass deflections with four. And, you know, was also just a game wrecker in every other department. At a true, you know, I'd classify outside linebacker spot and a 4-3 scheme. It's an unfamiliar sight, but when you have a physical athlete like Chase who forced two fumbles, recovered two fumbles, blocked a punt, and led the team in sacks, that is a nightmare to scheme against as an offensive coordinator. And Chase is somebody who I think is going to have a pretty good shot at being like the defensive MVP of this Demons squad. And it's going to be a Demon for, you know, opposing OCs. But it's pretty hard also to talk about this Demon defense without mentioning last season's leading tackler who returns as a senior in Johnny Myers. He recorded 71 tackles, two for loss, and also broke up three passes. He's a do-it-all kind of defender who, you know, combined with athletes on multiple levels of this defense could really hatch and down a lot compared to a unit last year that, you know, at times, like I said, uh, well, okay, I guess turnovers notwithstanding but still 
Dakota Ridge scoring 45 points. You have a Chatfield team scoring 50 points. I mean, even teams that I wouldn't say are as good offensively. Wide field, they score 14 points a year. Bear Creek scores 27. And then Fountain Fort Carson scores 41. Obviously, turnovers do factor in to how many points those teams are scoring. But nonetheless, it is still worth addressing in some kind of way. But I digress quite a bit. Uh, there's still some talent on this defense to talk about. You have Grant Penland, who posted three sacks in just three recorded games. And that dominance stands the test of time and projection of a full season. That is terrifying, honestly, for, you know, that's a, that's a bad man, is what I should say. The receivers this year, on hopping over to the offensive side of the ball, will primarily consist of 2024 guys if, you know, contributions from last year are to be considered. There's some solid size. You have Blake Duncan, who's listed at six foot one. You have Trey Abrams, who's listed at six foot three. So, you know, those frames should provide some pretty sweet red zone matchups. And then the biggest contributor, you know, out of both the backfield and receiving game combined in that 2024 class was Luke Chevalier. You know, his speed had him ranked at third in receptions and finding the end zone. And, you know, his ability to just run had him as the third in rushing yards and was insanely more efficient than the back ahead of him. He averaged 8.2 yards per carry and, you know, was also second with eight touchdowns. But you cannot tell the story, the golden story, without talking about elite 11 shiner and three-star prospect, Giselle Riley IV, who had a field day against defenses last season, accounting for 3,100 plus yards and 42 touchdowns. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, that's a lot. If he can cut back on those interceptions, clean up that ratio a little bit, they could really have a shot at pushing past the second round. Now, in the very first game of the season, it looks like it's an out-of-state game against Sebastian River out of Florida. You know, they play they play anyone and everyone whenever they want. Uh, but last year, you know, they did struggle to a 3-5 and five record. Now, it'll be interesting to see how Golden stacks up, but I think that always playing out-of-state talent, I always encourage it. Put Colorado football on the map. I mean, Golden, look. They have a national prospect in Giselle Riley, so that's a good opening to the season. Following that, they have a matchup against Silver Creek. I think that this is a game that they should win. Ponderosa, I think that this is a game that they should win. Now, this game against Denver South will be so entertaining of teams that are just returning a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, especially talent that was pretty young last year, and so should account for a very, very exciting game between Denver South and Golden. Holy cow. Circle it on your calendars. That might be one of the best games of the entire year, September 16th. Then they have an away game against 3A Palisade that I think that they should be able to win. Closing out, you know, part of this non-league schedule. Depending on how Sebastian River goes, I still think that worst case scenario, you probably go three and two here. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say four and one heading into league play. I think they take care of Bear Creek. I think that they take care of Stanley Lake. Dakota Ridge is going to be another toss-up game. But even if they lose that, they still win these last two and go, what is that, eight and two on the season. 
with a window of wins anywhere between seven to nine. I'm gonna say window of wins of seven to nine, which you know is pretty on brand and comparable to what they did last year. They won eight games last year during the regular season, then won that ninth one in the postseason. But if they want to get to double digit wins a little bit easier, they are going to try and push deeper into the playoffs. I think that they have the offensive talent to back that up, even though they do graduate plenty of receiving talent. But I'm not going to let that scare me. I have faith in Giselle Riley. I have faith in Chevalier on the offensive side of the ball. And I have faith in a lot of these contributors returning on defense in that front seven very specifically. I think that hunkering down the rush defense and, you know, getting a pass rush to the QB is going to make the secondary's job easier no matter who ends up in the secondary. So plenty of things to like. I mean, the only teams I don't, quote, favor them against is Denver South by like a single point. I want to say that game's going to be within three points. I'd be kind of surprised if it wasn't. And Dakota Ridge. So that's why I say eight and two. But those are both games that they can win. So uh, do keep an eye out for Ponderosa. I think that's a game they should win. But, you know, if, if they come out sloppy or come out flat, uh, Ponderosa is a team that, you know, plays pretty tough in the trenches and whatnot and could potentially present some problems for this golden team that at least to my knowledge didn't have a offensive lineman make the all-state team so those are some things to look out for but do watch out for those golden demons that are going to be scorching this year now it's going to be a little bit of a change of pace since these next few teams here did kind of struggle a little bit last year you know just Going to be fair, going to be honest, but going to try and give them the benefit of the doubt as much as I can. And that next one is the Wheat Ridge Farmers. Look, to try and give them some credit, they harvested one of the toughest schedules in all of football. That's the only non-playoff teams they faced were 5A Overland and a squad that I still believe is very solid in Stanley Lake. But excuses only go so far for a team that, you know, bit off way more than they could chew and potentially shatter their confidence. I mean dog through five weeks of the season they only scored 14 total points the first seven weeks of the season they only had 28 over the course of the season they only had 56 they averaged 5.6 points per game last year what's going on but you know let's let's follow the normal course here that we that we typically do and to talk about graduated seniors, and I'm not sure if stats were tallied properly or appropriately, but two of the top three leading rushers both graduate. Arguably a good scores, uh, a good source of scoring, I should say. Uh, Devon Zercher, Devin Zercher was a good athlete on the squad, leading the team in receiving last year, and also throwing a touchdown on some trickery. The third leading rusher was also the third leading receiver since Luciano Vecciarelli. Vecciarelli, uh, you know, Counted for the most scrimmage yards on this team. And a couple of interception yards thrown in there as well. It just made him, you know, one of the bigger contributors as far as scrimmage yards go. In addition to Zercher and Vecciarelli leading the team in tackles, um, you know, they graduate the following two leading tacklers, which means that 270 tackles go across the stage. In case this pattern 
His scoring inconsistent to you, Zercher and Luciano were also the primary pass defenders, and Zercher also blocked a punt this year. But other than that, you know, they do return a handful of talent. They do get back Ezekiel Estrada and incoming junior Nick Dalton, who rounded out the top six of tacklers and are going to, you know, try and lead a defense and clamp down a little bit from their 45.9 points per game that they allowed last season. And, you know, I still think that there's a lot of talent on this defensive line, in all honesty. Uh, it's going to be a position of strength this season and one of the better ones, I think, in their new league. Uh, Samuel McCoon will look to fill out his six foot three frame from last year and improve off of his four tackles for loss this past season. We'll have plenty of opportunities since Beto Bustamante and his 300 pound frame ate up five and a half tackles for loss last season. And with an off season of strength and speed improvement, they could be one of the most dynamic duos on defensive lines in, you know, 3A football. And then you also have Cam Eric, who is an opportunistic defensive tackle last season, recovering two fumbles to match Sam as the leaders on the team. And if, you know, Cam and Beto can both get pushes and eat up double teams in the run game, it's going to be very hard to run on Wheat Ridge this season. Uh, you also do see Sam Christensen potentially returning to quarterback. Look, he had a rough season, to say the least. Uh, I mean, he threw 13 picks, he fumbled the ball six times, or lost six fumbles, I should say, and just didn't really have a lot of help on offense. So, you know, I'm going to try and give him the benefit of the doubt here, try and give him a chance. I mean, they had a tough schedule. Look, they lost Arvada 43-7, Evergreen, Aurora Central, Denver South, all four playoff teams in their respective divisions, one of those being a 5A team. Evergreen being a really good 3A squad, losing to Overland in 5A. Chaffield, state champ, golden, playoff team. Dakota Ridge, playoff team. Bear Creek, playoff team. Stanley Lake, and a lot of other leagues, is probably a playoff team. So, you know, they, they had their fair share of challenges, and they're going to move down to 3A this year. And I think that, I mean, their schedule is still very interesting. Uh, they opened up the season against Fort Lupton. I wouldn't count Fort Lupton out of that game. I think that's going to be a close game, potentially. I'm going to actually favor Fort Lupton in that one. Then they have another two tough games against Thomas Jefferson and Denver North. I think they probably stumble out to an 0-3 start before they might have a chance to win against Sand Creek. You know, Sand Creek was a team that when they did win, it wasn't typically against really good teams. So you have an opportunity for a win here. But really, I think that you probably lose that, lose to Summit. Conifer is a team that graduates a ton of talent, but I mean, it's still Conifer. They still play very grindy, hit you in your nose football before. I think their best opportunity for a win this season is against Skyview on the road. Skyview was a team that also was winless last year. However, Skyview was winless in 3A. Wheat Ridge was winless in 4A and has, you know, I think a little bit more talent returning to the fold this season before they close the season against Green Mountain and Evergreen. They're going to lose both those games. And then Littleton High School, who is a team that I think just has a higher ceiling with some of their players than Wheat Ridge does. So, look, you get a window of wins of 0-3. to three. Those potential wins being Sand Creek, Skyview, and Littleton. But I really think that Wheat Ridge realistically goes one and nine this year i think they do at snap their losing streak 
you know, from not winning a game last year and also not winning a game during the COVID year. But I mean, I try not to count that too much, but I mean, if they do get a win, it'll be their first one since Bear Creek in 2019. Woof. So uh, wishing them the best of luck to snap that, get that, you know, confidence going. Because I think that that's just something that this squad doesn't have is a whole lot of confidence. And, uh, you know, I think that Skyview could potentially provide that to them. Now, for this next team, we are hopping out of the Jeffco League from last year to talk about the Heritage Eagles, who, you know, had some pretty good talent that graduated last year. And, you know, both in size and talent. And, you know, they were put in a tough hole and fought with everything they had to go 2-8 this past season. But, you know, they have some pieces that were flashy last season. And they just need more help from their offense. I mean, through the first three weeks of the season, they only scored seven points. Now, that does include two or all three of these matchups were against 5A schools. So maybe a little bit of help of scheduling. But, I mean, you know, they, they won in a insane upset over Vista Peak Prep. That's a game that they probably shouldn't have won that, uh, you know, they did earn and, should, and is a testament to their fighting spirit. But I mean, against Lutheran, there's a 3A school, they got rinsed. Vista Ridge, they got rinsed. Montre I mean, this league was just brutal. They ended the season on a high note with a 28 to 26 win for their second win of the season. But, uh, you know, last year they kind of alternated between mediocre quarterbacks whose QBRs were 46.5 and 45.7, but no one else attempted over 14 passes, and they have some questions under center. Um, as far as talent goes, Zachary Shilladay was the second-leading receiver on this squad, uh, who, in addition to Ethan Spilsbury, combined for just short of 400 yards and 42 total receptions from a subpar QB room. And then Eric Prince led all Eagles in total tackles and even found himself in the backfield a few times just like Shilladay did. Two other class of 2022 players recorded three tackles for loss in Jesse Finelli and Logan Frederick, but defensively, there are some potential all-staters here. I'm looking at Cade Coons, who went ballistic as a sophomore, racking up 13 tackles for loss of his 54 total tackles. And, you know, on top of that, he has plenty of room to grow in the pass rush game where he led the squad in sacks, but could see his numbers jump with a handful of hurries. He's got next level size around that six foot two, six foot three frame. And I guarantee he'll be between 230 and 240 pounds by the time the season starts. Lee Guthrie was, or I guess he was the junior, my bad from last year. Lee Guthrie was the sophomore last year who led the secondary and the whole team with two interceptions. He also broke up another five passes. He forced a fumble. He was the leading tackler of, you know, the players that are returning since last year. You know, he, he was up there in tackles. And also the Eagles will be seeing eight of their top 11 tacklers returning. Every little bit is going to help. I think this defense is going to take another step forward. And something that I just want to say is your defense can only do so much, right? And, you know, the, the same could be said about your offense. But, I mean, the defense did allow 41.9 points per game last year. But what are you supposed to do when your offense scores 10 or 11 points per game? Like, that margin is just so large that your defense is on the field all the time. You're you know, getting scored on by the opposing team's defense. And that's just tough. So offensively, you know, 
Heritage is going to need some people to seriously step forward. And some people who could do that are, I'm looking at Zach Siegler and Jaden Chaney, uh, who both played well as juniors last year. They each supported competence, catching and running the football all together, combined for 800 yards of scrimmage. And uh, I think that they'll be fed the ball even more this upcoming season. I think that there's high upside in incoming, you know, senior Esteban Marquez, who was the only other player on defense to notch a pick last year, led the team past deflections. But this offseason got working as a receiver. And, you know, his speed looks really lethal. He added some route running moves to his game that can make him stellar if they play him both ways and just provide another weapon on offense for whoever is going to be the guy in this QB room. And, you know, they have some massive size and talent with the incoming class of 2026 that could revive Heritage as a more prominent program for years to come. But, you know, looking to predictions, it's just, it's really hard to wager a lot on this team with just still no answer at quarterback. And honestly, quarterback has been a position of struggle, even with some of the best pass catchers in the state. Uh, you know, as far as tight ends, Terrence Ferguson a couple years ago and Eric Olson, they just haven't really had the guy under center. So Heritage still looking for somebody to really be a good quarterback. And honestly, it's like, I feel like it's an LPS problem because even Arapos, QBs, have been somewhat inconsistent uh, over the past few years. I mean, one I think who's doing the best when you look at college ball is Connor Dash, who is in my graduating class out of Rappo. That was, you know, a few years ago by this point. And Heritage, I can't name a quarterback that they've produced in the past few years. Littleton High School. I mean, LPS just, I don't know what's going on with quarterbacks not going there. But they got to figure it out. Uh, regardless, you know, they have plenty of returning talent, skill positions, and on the defensive side of the ball, to you know be more competitive this year now i don't know if that holds true in this opening game against mountain vista i think that mountain vista is you know one of the best squads you know in 5a so i think they start off own one i don't know if they beat arapaho but they have a significantly higher chance than they do last year with all of the talent that is graduating at arapaho so you got kind of those things going for you you face a solid 3a program in pueblo central before facing Overland, that's a very athletic team. I think this will actually be a really good game and maybe one that we could potentially check out. Rampart is on the 22nd. That's a game you should win. And so looking at these non-league games, I mean, at best, 3-2, and two, but more than likely 2-3. and three. Then you face Furudu Monument. I still think that this team is a little bit more well-rounded. Adam City... Adam City, I at least know who the quarterback is, right? So I'm going to favor Adam City in that one. Stanley Lake, I know who the quarterback is in that one. Aurora Central, I know who the running backs and quarterback are on that one. And Broomfield, I know the quarterback. So they just, it's hard to favor them when I just am not sure who's going to be under center. I'm going to say a window of wins of two to four here, but I'm probably projecting a three and seven season. I think that they could be, if they have someone who could throw the football, they could go you know, four and six or even five and five and maybe sneak into the playoffs here. But until I see it, I'm just not going to be able to pen it in, right? And one of those teams whose quarterback I do know and whose film I have watched is Stanley Lake. You know, the Gators last year, they got off to a pretty good start. You know, they started off 2-0, and beating the snot out of Centaurus 41-0 getting a pretty solid win against Rampart, 37-25. Then, you know, narrowly lost to a Green Mountain team, 17-14. to 
And that would be the beginning of the end as they went on a seven-game lose streak here. They lost to Ponderosa the next week. They lose to Denver South by only a touchdown, but that's the closest game they have until they lose a one-score game to Bear Creek. Then they end, end the season on a win, 50 to nothing against Wheat Ridge. But I mean, look, you score another touchdown against Bear Creek, you're four and six. Score another touchdown and converted two-point conversion against Denver South in a game that you really almost got in an upset. You're five and five, and you're probably in the playoffs, right? So I don't think that they're as far away from, you know, contending or postseason as a lot of people may think. I mean, look, they averaged 25.6 per game and allowed 28.5 per game. Pretty close margin here, and with as many players as they have coming back as they do this Stanley Lake team could be improved this next year. But let's go ahead and talk about graduating seniors. You know, offensively, this team was pretty young, but they do see 400-ish yards depart from the backfield in Evan Shanks and Dylan Graham, who scored four times on the ground and another eight in the air. I make that sound way more fair than it is. Dylan Graham was probably the best athlete or all-around player on this team last year. Look, he caught 482 yards and seven touchdowns. That was over half of the Gators uh, receiving touchdowns, by the way. Um, and the pattern of these two, Graham and Shanks being contributors, carries over to the other side of the ball. Look, Graham led the team with 88 tackles. He led the team with two interceptions. He led the team in special teams yards, right? So Dylan Graham, very, very special player. Someone who's, you know, dynamic playmaking will be missed on this Gator squad. As I mentioned, Shanks, he was second on the squad with 63 tackles, also had an interception, right? All these guys are forcing turnovers. You also have other seniors who notched a pick in Phil, Minch, Dawson, and Gottlob. So you're losing a lot of interceptions this upcoming year. And, you know, six of the top seven tacklers we're seniors, and I'm pretty sure that it's, you know, Graham, Phil, Minch, Shanks, Dawson, Gottlieb. You know, it's some combination, if not those six guys, right? So the, all of those same names, contributors on both sides of the ball will be missed. Dylan Graham and Evan Shanks definitely being the biggest losses. But I mean, watching the film, I'm very excited for this team, especially on offense where they have class of 2024 QB, Fulton Jackson, who is chock full of talent. You know, he's got a powerful arm. He can push it downfield. And he has, I mean, just insanely agile footwork that allows him to not only maneuver the pocket and buy more time or escape the pocket or move the pocket. You know, it allows him to take off and rip off long runs. I think he had a long of 78 yards rushing this year. It's the first play on his highlight film. And like, yeah, he's fast. He's a pretty sweet athlete. And, you know, he pushed the ball downfield. He's very aggressive. But I think that, you know, he, he's kind of one-dimensional in a lot of the throws that he makes, or a lot, at least a lot of the throws on his highlight reel. It's just downfield, just downfield. I want to see you split defenders with throws. I want to see you hit deep in routes. I want to see you hit, you know, quick hitter routes. I want to see you establish a drive. I want to see you drive down the field. And, you know, I think that they're in a great offense to do exactly that. I think that this is an offense that can run a very good RPO system because, you know, in the backfield is a bevy of ball carriers that was, you know, most stabilized, I'd say, by Blake Stout. He led the team in carries with 100, averaged 4.4, and scored three times. 
But then there's also a really explosive back who, you know, if he does come back and play, despite his USC Aiken baseball commitment, uh, Cannon Frost led all rushers in yards, yards per carry, on only 68 carries, mind you, and touchdowns, running for 751, averaging 11 per carry, and double-digit touchdowns. Between Frost, Stout, and Jackson, the three leading rushers return. And like I said, Jackson ripped off a long of 78. You also had Frost, who ripped off a long of 80. There's some big play opportunity here. And, you know, Frost is also somebody who presents opportunities in the receiving game. He had 324 yards and four touchdowns, so he was second, I want to say, in both of those categories. So you have a lot of potential here, but a lot of it does kind of come down to can Jackson stop turning the ball over? He threw 11 interceptions, and it's easy to see when he just takes unnecessary risks downfield. He fumbled the ball, or at least lost six fumbles, and he fumbled even more. So he's got to protect the football better, both through the air and on the ground, and just not give teams so many opportunities. I mean, you reduce turnovers, and that's probably the difference between three and seven and five and five, right? It's just those turnovers in certain games or at certain times or what have you. Defensively, like I said, they are graduating a handful of players here. They might, I don't know if it is Dylan Graham's younger brother, but there is another Graham on this team, Liam Graham, who in only one start did notch an interception. And if he does end up being a dynamic athlete, could see playing time this year if he's anything like Dylan Graham. And then more consistently, you do get Max Stout, who you know is the leader amongst returners in tackles with 59 also notching a sack and a pick and in the pass rush game you know the defense in general returned 64 percent of sacks from last season uh with luke root at the front was is the root of this pass rush he had three sacks last season and is also a contributor on offense catching the football so what does that mean for the gators heading into next season well interesting schedule here in the 4a metro one uh, as they do start off the season against Monarch, this is a home game. I think this is a game that Stanley Lake should probably win with how many points they can score on offense. You got to look out for Monarch, who's going to try and play some keep away. But I think that's a winnable game. I don't think they're as lucky against Skyline here, who, you know, I I've done their preview before. And I think that their offense is just a bit more dynamic and they have some more playmakers on defense, especially in the trenches. They follow that up with two away games against 5A talent in Westminster and North Glen. I actually think that they can go 1-1 one one in these games. They might even be able to go 2-0 oh if North Glen doesn't have an answer under center by that point. So, you know, you're already seeing a little bit of a window of wins, but I do think that they should beat Westminster with all the graduating talent they have. Thomas Jefferson, I think, is a tougher draw, but I think that that is a winnable 4A game here. I'm going to say that's actually a coin toss, and one that, I mean, gosh, why does the 4A Metro always throw a weird non-league game in between their league? But anyways... They then open up league against Grand Junction. So up until, you know, the final four games here, you're looking at a wow of on the low side, three on the high side, five, right? If you beat Monarch, Westminster, North Glen, Grand Junction, no, no, I guess four. I mean, no, no, because if you beat Thomas Jefferson, that's five, right? So like three to five here. Then you get into League Golden. I don't think that that's a team that they probably beat just yet. Heritage, 
I already just favored them on the last segment to win this game. I think that they should do significantly better against Bear Creek. I mean, look, like I said, Bear Creek, they have a lot of questions on the offensive side. You know, if Jackson is still turning the ball over to the defense a lot during the game, then this is something that could obviously become a problem. But they played Bear Creek closer last year, and I think that squad was way more talented last year than it is this year. So I'm going to actually favor Stanley Lake in this game, and then I don't think that they beat Dakota Ridge. So you're looking at a window of wins on the low side of, I mean, um, I want to say five. I want to say that they definitely should win five games this year, and they could win as many as seven. So window of wins of five to seven. I'm pretty high on this Stanley Lake team here. I like the pieces that they're returning on the offensive side of the ball. I think that these athletes can also flip on the defensive side of the ball and make some plays. You know, I think they won't be as great defensively as far as playmaking and stuff. But, I mean, if they're stout up front, they get a lot of tackles and just force teams to, you know, get frustrated and try and throw it. That's going to help them out. And uh, I like their odds in shootouts as well. So I'm going to say Stanley Lake, window wins of 5-7. to seven with a more than likely record of ah see this is why i'm supposed to get paid the big bucks here we'll say six and four i'm gonna say six and four for stanley lake this upcoming season now for the recap that a lot of you people probably clicked on this episode for and just one of the i mean the best team in 4a last year the chatfield chargers look uh, I've been waiting for this recap since I'd like to own up to my personal overlooking of this Charger squad that, uh, you know, would have a chance to avenge their losses and were the comeback kings this year. I mean, look, opening the season with an insane 49-43 win over an offensive juggernaut in Longmont. Big surprise, great start to the season. Took care of business against Brighton, 43-20. Ran over this Fountain Fort Carson team at home for a 23-14 win, and then beat Fruita Monument 28-7 before losing their first game of the season. They were 4-0, lost their first game of the season to Pine Creek 28-22. Open up league. They're mad that they just lost to Pine Creek. Whooped up on Wheat Ridge 56-14. Now, this is easily the most surprising loss on this schedule against Bear Creek that they lost 14-10. I'm pretty sure from the community that we overheard that there were some injury issues heading into this game. And I mean... Bear Creek's front seven defense just matches up very, very well against this Chatfield team that was run, 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 run. Um, but that didn't discourage them. They bounced back with a one-point win over Golden the next Thursday. Wow, that, that's tough for Golden. That just lost some really high-scoring games. Then they beat Stanley Lake 45-22 before losing their final regular season game 29-28. to This, you know... What is that? Seven and three. Seven and three record was still good enough for a first round bye this past season. And they awaited the winner of Aurora Central versus Ponderosa. Ponderosa advanced and they beat them 31-9. And then came the revenge tour. They faced off against Dakota Ridge, just lost to them three weeks prior to this. And they were down heading into the fourth, I want to say, or maybe halfway through the third. They were down in the second half. And came, stormed back in the storm, I should say, and charged to a 42-31 revenge-fueled win. They then beat Pine Creek 28-21. to 
in another revenge game where they were behind. I mean, they were behind in both these games, came back and won by at least a touchdown before the accumulation of craziness went down in mile high. Tie game, 34 apiece. They were down at some point in this game, but it's not like, I don't think it was like a fourth quarter comeback from what I remember. But I mean, this final drive, hook and ladder for a huge chunk of yards from two great athletes in Mason Lowe and Brock Narva. And then sophomore QB, Jake Jones, who, you know, had an interesting year under center. You know, I mean, they were kind of rotating guys who were throwing the football. But I mean, he completed the pass when it mattered for the go-ahead touchdown and the trophy, right? So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like coming back next season. But, you know, they are moving up to 5A. So I'm going to just put that out there and state that it'll be a very wild, wacky season for Chatfield. Um, you know, it they have plenty of great players returning to make the, you know, transition a little less tough. But, you know, I still think it'll be interesting and, you know, hard in some ways. But you can't take the rings away from them this past year in 4A. Now, as far as graduating seniors slash departing talent, I feel it necessary to talk coaching changes, especially for championship teams, since Brett McGatlin, you know, is probably, you know, Quinn Tippling is paced up at Valor Christian and is the best coach that they've had since at least McCaffrey, I want to say. And, you know, I mean, this is the same coach who had one of the most insane play calls I've ever seen with a hook and ladder on the final drive of a state championship game and adapted this offense. He found places and tricks for every player to thrive and excel. And I think that this loss hurts for the history of Chatfield that won state titles with Papa McGatlin prior to this and just makes me awfully curious on what schemes they plan to run and employ with the with a new head coach. In addition to, you know, departing members of this squad uh, before talking graduates, you know, incoming senior Mason Lowe is now attending IMG Academy, I'm pretty sure, which hurts since he was one of the best athletes in the entire state and was no different this past season where he notched 10 rushing scores on 86 carries, 665 yards, another 244 through the air for a team that rarely, if ever, threw the ball, including a team-long 77-yard reception. Look, anytime he gets the ball in his hands, he has superb agility and body control to get up field. And that's just one of the dimensions that the Chargers will have to live without. Not to mention what he was able to do on the offense or defensive side of the ball, I mean, where he did notch an interception in the state championship game. So, I mean, gosh, that's only the people who are leaving. It's just now time to talk about graduation, where, you know, as if losing the coach of the year didn't hurt enough, they also lose Chass's 4A state player of the year in Wildcat quarterback Jake Marshall, who will be a running back at Chadron State, running for, you know, 28 touchdowns and almost 2,000 yards this past season. Look, if Marshall ran for over 100 yards, which he did 10 times this season, they probably ran, they, they probably won that game. And that adds up because they went 11-3 and this past year. Uh, they also lose two first-team All-State linemen from this past season to graduation. And I'm sure that depth-wise, you know, that they have two more uh, who had snaps this year. But I mean, still, All-State linemen, that hurts. Defensively, this front seven will be without a handful of players that include stud defensive linemen, Pac Bush, who had 49 tackles and four for loss last year. 
But I mean, they just lose a lot of chemistry in the front seven with seven of the top 11 tacklers departing via graduation or moving out of state. Three of the top four tacklers in Logan, Rodriguez, and Gallagher have 200, nearly 200 combined between the three of them. And, uh, you know, this unit's bleeding only gets worse when you take those guys along with Pack Bush and realize that you lose 17 sacks and 20 hurries with not a lot of underclassmen experience to clog the drain. This team was incredible at forcing turnovers last season, as is most championship teams. And they'll have to do a lot more since their INT leader, Mason Lowe, left with seven interceptions. On top of that, Mason Gallagher had four himself and swarmed for eight pass deflections. Campbell Packbush's wingspan was also integral to you know, the success of this pass game since he batted five passes. I mean, 57% of all pass deflections leave with, you know, guys on the front line, guys in the secondary, Mason Lowe, uh, Jack uh, Bender, who both had 10 pass deflections apiece. I mean, a lot of size and athleticism jettisons from this Chatfield team that still has a lot of talent, but, you know, it's potential that this all this talent put together is what brought out the best in everyone, right? Returning playmakers, like I said, they're still returning talent. And I think my eyes and most of the state's eyes are, you know, looking at 2025 4A PMC Newcomer of the Year, Brock Narva, who is essential to this team winning a cheap last year and was a mini Mason low in the way that he was capable of doing everything on the field only as only a freshman. He had five pass deflections, three interceptions on defense, laid the wood with some forced fumbles, posted 49 tackles from the safety spot. And, you know, his athleticism and ability to move his hips and change direction was obviously useful on defense, but was also, you know, great on offense where he had 513 yards through only nine games. Now, his film pops off the screen and in the state game against the other best team in 4A, he left his mark, you know, uh, with the game-changing lateral part of the hook and ladder. And also recording a fourth down stop against a substantially bigger and more proven player through just phenomenal fundamentals. He had a momentous stop that you can definitely circle as a point in the game where Chatfield was like, hey, we're going to win this game, right? So Narva... One of the best players in the class of 2025, period, no questions asked, regardless of what position or what he's asked to do on the field. And he's only going to get bigger, stronger, faster, and he's going to, I think, maintain that high level of athleticism. <sighs> Receiving-wise, Drew Rollman led the team in receiving with 271 and had doubled the amount of touchdowns of other teammates who caught the pigskin. I think that passing might be something that is expanded this year in this Chatfield offense, who, like I said, ran the ball astoundingly well with a Wildcat quarterback in Jake Marshall, right? But I mean, they also found some contributors in some underclassmen. I mean, I look at very specifically Ayers here, number 58, who took some direct snaps just right up the gut in Sam, and especially in the state game. He was gouging that eerie defense for a few yards and, you know, picked up four touchdowns. There's also Roy Ball, who is a junior, who is going to be getting plenty of opportunities in Narva. So in that backfield, you have plenty of stability, but you don't have 
the Jake Marshall level of consistency and durability. And so, you know, it's going to be a different Jake who's probably going to be looked to lead this team a little bit. And that was last year's sophomore QB, Jake Jones, who I briefly talked about as throwing the game-winning touchdown and should have all the confidence in the world heading into his junior year. And if you couple that with the fact that he was operating cold a lot of the season, that, you know, there's I think there's plenty of room for growth for Jake Jones this upcoming year. I mean, you look at the stat line, it's not flashy. Seven touchdowns, eight interceptions, 53% completion percentage. Like I said, he was rusty and cold and coming in and out while they were running a wildcat offense. And he still made the most significant play in Chatfield's historic 2021 season. So I'm excited to see where Jake Jones goes. And, you know, this defense is still going to be pretty solid this year. I talked about, you know, some guys like, well, I talked about Brock Narva on defense. But the heart of this defense also returns in senior linebacker Thomas here. You know, Cade Thomas, he was on our linebackers watch list and he was fantastic last year, posting 132 tackles, coming up with massive stops that were great for energy and showing that physicality that just got this team really going at times. And was also, you know, at linebacker, checking in on teammates, making sure that everyone was in the right position. And then Blake Cowgill was another big-time turnover guy, recording three interceptions in only four documented games, but making each one count. So lots of athletes on this squad. A little bit of a question mark at QB, but, you know, six foot, 180-pound, state-winning quarterback here. But they are in 5A this year. So let's take a look. They open up the season against Cherokee Trail. I think that this is a winnable game. Following that, they play Port. Port St. Lucie out of Florida. I love seeing Colorado face off against, you know, that out-of-state talent. This team was really good last year. They went 7-3, ultimately losing in the playoffs in, you know, Florida competition in 6A. I don't know if they're going to win that game. They then have Cherry Creek, Thunder Ridge, Dakota Ridge, Arvada West, Pomona, Lakewood, Rouston Valley, and Columbine. Oh my gosh, why did they schedule the hardest freaking schedule their first year in 5A? Are they insane? Look, they don't beat Cherry Creek. I'm sorry, they don't. The 4A state champs don't beat the 5A state champs. That's just not going to happen. Thunder Ridge is a very talented squad that's returning like almost their entire defense. And depending on who's at quarterback will determine if they win this game. But I mean, defensively alone, I think that they can do a lot to this Chatfield team. I don't think that Chatfield beats Dakota Ridge. I think it'll still be a close game, but I mean, they just had athletes that like matched up really well against Dakota Ridge last year in, you know, Mason Lowe, who is like the antithesis to like Dante Capolongo slash like Noah Triplett in some kind of way. They also, you know, had like a Brock Narva that would like counteract like a Noah Triplett. They had a Jake Marshall that was really physical. So I just think that they don't win this one. Arvada West. Now, I think that this game, initially, when I was talking this game with Arvada West, I think I said Arvada West could win, but I think that this is a lot closer to a coin toss. Same with the Pomona game that I maybe originally hinted at. I think that they beat this Lakewood team. I don't think that they beat Ralston Valley or Columbine. So, on the low end of wins, you know, they win, shoot, two games this year. On the high end of wins, I think that they win five. So I'm going to project them to actually go 
Ah, oh, man, this is tough because they're the defending state champs, you know, and they still have plenty of talent. But, man, I'm just not sure. This schedule is insanely tough. They they might have bit off more than they could chew. They could potentially sneak into the playoffs at 4-6. and six. So I'm going to say that they go 4-6 and six over the course of this schedule and, and make a push for the postseason. But, oh, gravy. Why are they going so brazy? in their first year of 5a in a little bit but i mean they were 5a for a while shouldn't be a huge deal they still have plenty of talent but my eyes are on the coaching staff very specifically as well as you know just how some of these younger players step up in the absence of all the tackles and big plays that departed this past season but thanks for so much thanks so much for sticking and rocking with us that is the conclusion of our 2022 previews. Oh, you don't know how happy that makes me. But stay tuned. We still have plenty of TikToks coming out. So make sure to follow us on TikTok at Playmakers Corner. And, you know, the season is right around the corner. So we're going to have content for you guys. I think we're going to take it pretty easy this week and just kind of enjoy posting some TikToks and not having to record content. But, you know, we're going to have weekly recaps for you during the regular season, potentially throw in some breakdowns of guys that did request their film to be broken down who we don't maybe think make our top five uh, playmakers of the senior class. So we're going to prioritize that anytime we can. And, you know, just have a little bit of fun this season. You know, we're very excited to be back in person watching games. I actually just got the media passes, you know, as of August 15th. So, well, I guess technically it was like, Friday, but found them in my mailbox finally uh, on Monday morning. So I'm very excited to check this out and just let's see it, Colorado football. Let's have a great season. Let's go ahead and keep up with Playmakers Corner's recaps this season. Whether you follow us on Twitter at Playmaker Corner or on Instagram, Playmakers Corner, or on Facebook, Playmakers Corner, where we post covers and link trees to all of our latest episodes which are just such a blast, and man, it's it's football season, baby. Colorado football, let's ride.